things work better in organizations and outside of organizations when people have a really strong sense of purpose and meaning in their work. Why is it that people who are employed full-time are going outside the boundaries of the organization and participating in these open innovation platforms in order to fulfill that desire to learn? Welcome once again, dear listeners, to this episode of the Sparker podcast, where I talk to Professor Pamela Heinz from Stanford University. Pam is an expert on the future of work and co-director of the Center on Work, Technology and Organization at Stanford. As you heard, this show was recorded over the internet because Pam and I did not find the time to meet while I was in Silicon Valley. Also, this conversation dates back to 2017 and was one of my first ever podcast recordings. Therefore, please bear with me on this one, even if the audio quality is not the best. Pam is definitely worth it, and dare I say, the conversation aged quite well. So there is still a lot of interesting insights for you here. Together, we talked about the future of work, the increasing meaning of purpose, the mindset of learning, and the power of open innovation. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with... Professor Pamela Heitz. Welcome, Pam, to the uh, Sparker podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us, and um, I'm very much looking forward to hear your thoughts and uh, your insights on the future of work, which is our today's topics in this podcast episode. And um, just to start off, I would like to um, learn from you personally, why do you care about the future of work? What does it mean to you? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, I think there are a variety or a number of different reasons why this is um, particularly interesting to me. I think at a, a high level, most of us spend most of our time at work. Um, and right now with pretty dramatic changes in uh, technology um, and, uh, you know, the, the changes that are happening at a very rapid pace, we can expect that work is going to be different uh, for most people um, and that that change is going to be coming pretty quickly. Uh, so to me, it's really important to be able to anticipate um, and think about what those changes are likely to be so that we can prepare in in the best possible ways. Um, you know, I, I, I don't believe that um, advances in technology necessarily um, are problematic. I think there are opportunities there, um, but it requires that we think about the human aspect um, of those technologies and those potential changes and get ahead of it so that you know, we are driving those changes rather than having the technology drive them. Yeah, that sounds excellent. It's like the um, uh, perfect outline for this conversation. I would like to get all in these aspects that you've just mentioned. I would like to start um, with asking you, how would you actually define work? What is that to you? What does it mean to you? And 
how do you believe will the idea or the concept of work change over time? Mm -hmm. And I guess with that, we will like lead into those trends and shifts that we are observing at the moment. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about how you look at work and how it's going to change? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, when I when I think about work uh, in the context of the, the research that we do, um, I think about basically how people spend, you know, their days or their you know, evenings or nights, depending upon what shift they're working, but, but how they, um, how they make a living. Um, you know, typically I think of work in terms of the, um, the, the, um, you know, people's employment, um, in whatever job it is that they are doing in order to contribute to, uh, them being able to make a living. Um, so I, you know, I really think of it as, you know, that those, you know, eight, 10, 12, however many hours, uh, people go to, um, to invest in this contribution. Mm-hmm. And, um, is that, um, like a, a concept that will have to change to, um, still be, um, adequate in the future? And if so, in, in what sense? Yeah, you know, I think there are a number of ways that it does shift a little. Even as I was answering, you know, I sort of, um, you know, there were certain phrases that, that don't actually make sense that I didn't use because, you know, it, it doesn't really define, I think, the way that things are evolving. So, for example, we've historically thought of work as, and I even use the phrase, you know, people go to work. Well, you know, in the future of work, people may not go to work. You know, they may simply stay where they are um, and make the contributions, um, you know, through their their computers or their mechanisms. Um, I think that historically we've also sort of thought about work, as I kind of talked about, you know, you go for, you know, you know, your eight hour day or, you know, however it is, it is um, set up in, in whatever uh, context you're working in. Um, but that actually very much is, is not holding true anymore. Uh, people's days are much more fragmented. People might work for, um, a couple of hours and then do something else that isn't work and then go back to work and so forth. So, you know, it's not, it's not so much a chunk of time that is committed to work, uh, during a day. It's, it's something that's much more fluid and spread out and, and less well-defined uh, than I, it has been in the past. Um, I think the other piece that um, has historically been assumed to be true is that um, you are going to work in an organization that employs and pays you. And, you know, increasingly people are doing quote unquote work, um, but it's a contest. You know, for example, in open in, or in open innovation, they may be competing. Um, so they invest the time in their quote unquote work and they may or may not get paid as a result of that investment. Um, they also, you know, may not be employed, um, by that organization. They may be in an online labor market. They may be, um, on ODESK or Enter or, uh, some of their online 
labor market where they are doing sort of piecework um, for a variety of different employers um, at a given time. Um, so, you know, I think there are a lot of potential changes in the way that we view you know, what work really is and, and, and what it means to people. And, and I think that, you know, from a social science perspective, for decades, we've thought of work and identity as very much intertwined. You know, people think of themselves as an engineer or as a PR person or, you know, we're very much, um, at least in the Western world, our um, identities are very much intertwined with the work that we do and where we're employed. Um, and that, I think that relationship is going to change although I don't yet know in what ways. Uh, you said that work is about making a living, being employed. Um, you also said work is about making a contribution. And that all led up to me wanting to ask you, um, contributing to what? What is the, um, the role of purpose, of um, values, meaning? Um, will that become more important, uh, like proportionate to um, how more fragmented everything is becoming so that we still need that the glue must become even stronger? Uh, or how do you look at the, the meaning of uh, purpose in, in the future of work? Yeah, I, I think that's a really important question. Um, and, and, and it, I, can't predict at this point how that's going to evolve. What we do know is that meaning has become more and more central um, for people at work. Um, you know, most of the research that's been done over the last decade or so suggests that, you know, for employees to really be truly engaged and dedicated to their work, they have to have a sense of purpose and meaning. They have to know what it is they're contributing to and they have to care about what it is they're contributing to. Um, so I think we're seeing an increase in the expectation um, that people will have that sense of meaning in their work. Um, at the same time, with this um, sort of fracturing of the traditional um, ways that work um, organized, it's not clear where that meaning is going to come from um, and, and, and who's responsible um, for ensuring that meaning is there. And I think oftentimes meaning is derived from doing things collaboratively, doing things together with groups of people in order to um, accomplish something that is more significant and of higher impact. Um, but for example, with, you know, the, you know, peace work in online labor markets, um, that breaks down a little bit. Um, so it's, and, and also when organizations become, so that as the boundaries of organizations become much more fluid, and people identify, potentially identify less with an organization as their employer. I think that that 
um, sense of meaning, um, meaning or purpose also um, shifts a little bit. Um, but I, at this point, that's something that needs to be examined more closely. And I think we're kind of at the you know relatively early stages of all of this happening. So you know we don't know the effects yet. Mm-hmm. So you've been asking very interesting questions, and I'm happy to to get back to them a bit later in our conversations because uh, we jumped right into it, and we haven't uh, already talked. We haven't yet talked about the the actual driving forces that um, uh, like change it all. Uh, so um, what comes to my mind could be um, globalization, or of course uh, technology. You already mentioned it; it's developing very quickly. Change is coming very rapidly. Um, so what are the, the driving forces that you see at work that um, change our, f- that uh, shape our future? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that there are significant changes as a result of the um, advances that have been made and the advances on the horizon um, in technology um, in a, a in a variety of different areas that are all kind of happening at once. You know, I think with, with automation and, you know, robots, especially autonomous kinds of robots um, with um, so much um, reliance on algorithms and the ability to gather, uh, you know, just incredible amounts of data and process that data and look for patterns um, you know, there's just a lot more uh, focus on data, data-driven decisions. Um, and I think that the manufacturing is likely going to change uh, pretty dramatically as well uh, with 3D printing and other kinds of um, additive manufacturing technologies. Um, you know, the the current factories that are so heavily reliant on, um, you know, tooling and um, uh, production um, of single parts for an extended period of time. Um, I think that is likely to um, change, at least in some industries. Uh, Globalization is also a big factor, and it's certainly a big factor in the kinds of things that I look at. But that's also intertwined with the changes in technology. Um, you know, the, our ability to um, <clears throat> work globally the way that we do um, is very much dependent upon collaboration technologies, the ability to um, you know, have the kind of conversation that we're having uh, right now over video conference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In terms of what I believe is important today, I still feel like collaborating across differences um, is extremely important, particularly given what's going on in the world today. Um, And, you know, when I look at global collaboration, one of the things that I'm most passionate about is thinking about how to use that as an opportunity to make the world a smaller place. I mean, if a large percentage of people are collaborating with 
you know, from the U.S. to India or China or from Switzerland to, you know, places in Africa or Turkey or, you know, to the extent that we're doing that, it is such an incredible opportunity to learn about people in other parts of the world and learn about their perspectives and their interests and what they care about. And, you know, I think what I saw really early on in doing this research is the opposite was happening. There was such frustration in working together that we, we saw people polarizing based on their differences rather than coming together and integrating uh, these different perspectives. So I, I just see incredible potential in figuring out and helping people to learn how to um, use that opportunity to actually um, work more effectively, be more innovative, um, learn more, do things that are more exciting. I mean, one of the things that, that we found, I did some research with uh, Nina Normi, who's at Aalto University in Finland, and we found that people actually, um, at least in the, the study that we did, people loved working globally because they learned so much in doing it. And to the extent that they saw it as a learning opportunity, they were more innovative, they're more effective, they were more excited about their work and engaged in what it was they were doing. Um, so so I, I see a ton of potential there. Um, so that that's what I would say uh, where my passion is. Could we talk about how you think uh, companies can establish or also individuals can establish this mindset of learning. And another path we could go down is um, uh, open innovation, crowdsourcing, and the, um, the species of the programs, the professional amateurs mm -hmm. that are all over the internet on all those um, uh, crowdsourcing platforms. Uh, open innovation, crowdsourcing could be one path, or the question how to incorporate this um, learning mindset into organizations and individuals yeah do you have like a favorite which road to go you know they're interconnected um so we can start with mindset of learning and that'll go right into open innovation because i think they're highly connected um yeah so in terms of a mindset of learning um in general I believe that people do have a mindset of learning. Um, I don't know that organizations really need to generate that. I think they need to support it. And, you know, the not standing in the way of people who want to inherently learn. Right, right. Um, and, and that, you know, encouraging people to experiment, encouraging people to look at alternative solutions. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that I often rant about um, is this whole idea of best practices. I actually think that best the idea of best practices is hugely problematic um, because it assumes there is one best way, best way. Um, which sort of closes down um, opportunities and alternatives and uh, ways or, or it, you know, discourages people from exploring 
other ways of doing things. And in my experience and in my research, what I've seen is that best is highly contextual. Absolutely. So what may be best here in the Silicon Valley might not be best in Germany or India or China. In fact, oftentimes it's not best. Um, so this whole notion of best practices, I think, is one where there's an opportunity to um, shift the mindset um, by by just not assuming that there is one single best way of doing things. Because I think I think it just shuts down the learning. Um, and um, you know, I think that that encouraging that kind of exploration and experimentation is really key. Um, so when it comes to open innovation, uh, one of the things that I think is really exciting in that environment is that, you know, most of the, the research that we've done suggests that the reason that people participate in these open innovation environments is because they're an opportunity, opportunity to learn. Um, you know, so they may have, you know, a, a full-time job in, you know, a company somewhere, but they spend their off hours in these open innovation environments because it's a place where they can try out new things and they can share ideas with other people and they get really good feedback um, on, you know, some of the ideas that they're trying out, um, it's an opportunity to interact with you know more senior people who have more background and expertise, and that you know that's really the primary motivator. Um, you know, they know that you know the likelihood of winning one of these contests and getting money for the work they're investing is relatively low. Um, they do it anyway because they're there to learn. Um, so and that's the connection I think with open innovation. If you think about well, from an organizational standpoint, why is it that people who are employed full-time are going outside the boundaries of the organization and participating in these open innovation platforms in order to fulfill that desire to learn? That tells me that something isn't happening in the organization that perhaps should be that would enable people to learn more, experiment more, and probably contribute more to the organization as a result of doing that. So happy that you're bringing that up because I personally also think that so much potential gets just lost, that um, people have so much more to give than they most of the time are giving in their current job and take it outside uh, somewhere else. Um, what could organizations, companies um, do to change that situation so that um, employees are um, enthusiastic about um, uh, donating that, uh, um, that uh, potential to, uh, to the company instead of um, a private project? Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good question. One thing that comes to mind is that I think part of the challenge in a traditional organizational context is that there are um, there is structure imposed. You know, people have you know a particular job to do. They have particular deliverables, and everything works because each cog in the wheel, 
you know, if you will, uh, or cog in the machine, um, contributes its particular, um, uh, you know, it has a particular role to play. Um, and I contrast that to, for example, a startup organization where the roles are much, much less defined and basically people are able to step in um, and encouraged to step in whenever they see a need um, that, um, you know, a need that, that they could work on. Um, the, the challenge, I think the unanswered question at this point is how do you scale that so that you can have, you know, a, a large organization that's still efficient and effective. Um, even startups as they grow have to begin to impose these structures, which then limits to some extent individual autonomy. Um, some organizations deal with this um, by, for example, uh, you know, Google has a certain percentage of time that you can contribute to, you know, anything else that you want to do in the company. And that's really encouraged and supported. And it's a way to um, enable people to um, work on other things. I think the challenge in a lot of companies with a policy like that, though, at least in the U.S., people are working such long hours on the projects that they are responsible for, that that additional 20% or 10% or whatever it is um, it might not really be realistic if you're already working a 60-hour week. Um, so, yeah, I think there's real potential in things like that, though, to, to carve out uh, time and opportunity for people to do other things that are outside the, the more confining structure. I hope you are enjoying this episode so far. If you like what you hear, why not collaborate with Sparker on your next business event? Sparker drives strategy and innovation workshops forward as a goal-oriented facilitator. And Sparker can also contribute to your next high-caliber conference as moderator or speaker. If you want to learn more, visit www.sparker.ch moderation. you find the link in the description of this episode. And now back to the rich conversation of this Sparker podcast. On the one hand, we have the importance of exploration, uh, trying out different uh, things, uh, being open to different approaches and everything. Um, and on the other hand, we are I believe moving towards a world which is becoming increasingly um, data-driven and to such an extent that also decisions are made um, by algorithms, by data. And I think in a pretty um, soon point in time, it will be really hard to overthrow a decision that an algorithm has made for us, which kills all those uh uh, open playing field for exploration and experiments. And um, do you do you see that uh, as well, or do you have a different take on that? Um, I think that's a it's a really interesting idea. Um, I haven't seen it yet, um, but 
um, I think it makes sense to be concerned about it. Uh, you know, one of the, the sort of paradoxes that I see with the, this, the data driven environment is that there was a, um, sort of a wave, um, you know, maybe a decade ago toward evidence driven, um, management or evidence driven decisions. Um, and now if you look at, you know, kind of the data driven, uh, decision trend, I think the, the paradox is that the data that are driving the decisions are only providing some of the evidence because the decisions are then only made based on the data that we have been able to collect or people thought to collect. Um, and I, I worry about um, people not looking as holistically um, at the evidence that needs to be considered in order to be really thoughtful um, about the decisions that are made. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think we're entering a, um, a, a period that it leads me to be concerned um, about how people are using that data, what data we're actually using. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that, that often gets lost in these discussions is that, you know, the, the data the data are just the data. Somebody has to analyze that data and somebody has to interpret what it is um, that the data are conveying. Um, and there, there's still an art to that. And if we lose track of the fact that that, that is an art and that there has been choices made and, and interpretations done. And if we treat those, um, not the data, but the analyses as truth, um, I think that's problematic. I think it's limiting. Absolutely. I, uh, I think absolutely the same. It's, um, a very big issue and, um, loving it that you're pointing it out that data is just data and it doesn't have meaning as long as it not been interpreted by a human by um, a human with a certain context, certain goals, motivations. So uh, we're getting really philosophical now that uh, I believe there is no such thing as just pure uh, or well, there might be pure data, but as soon as you transfer it to information or knowledge, it's not pure anymore. It's always contextual. And um, and, well, and I, and I would uh, argue that it's contextual even before it became data. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just uh, like the because we're choosing what we're choosing what to collect, and it is collected in some context that is often now lost. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and um, uh, that helps me to like elegantly take the conversation to the topic of leadership, because in that vacuum or in that process of interpreting um, data, making decisions, um, that also changes the role of, of leaders, of decision makers in organizations and also in our making decisions in our personal life, I believe. That um, uh, uh, you have to ha have quite a lot of stamina to um, 
to talk against um, data to say, well, we might have all that data, but I'm going with my gut feeling or my gut feeling tells me that this data is not worth anything because let's say um, uh, garbage in, garbage out kind of way, it, not the right thing was measured in the first place. Or just, um, I think uh, for leaders, life will become more difficult now to, to make decisions uh, because they have that conflict of gut feeling and data and everything. How do you see the, the role of, of leadership or decision-making changing over time as a whole? Do you have maybe findings in your research or just a personal opinion on how to approach that uh, subject? Yeah, I mean, at this point, um, the research hasn't been done, so I don't have anything from the research. We're embarking on a couple of projects right now that hopefully will answer some of these questions. Um, but, I, you know, in some ways, I don't think the role of leaders changes much. Um, I believe that good leaders always ask a lot of questions um, and they don't rush to conclusion based on um, limited or narrow um, information or data that has been provided to them. Um, so, and, and I think that that continues and, and, and perhaps leaders just need to get more sophisticated about uh, the kinds of questions that they ask and as consumers um, of data um, and, 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 and also be educated about the kinds of conclusions that can actually be drawn from different kinds of data. Um, you know, I, you know, as, as researchers, that's something that, that we are, you know, really steeped in. So that, um, a connection is not a causality per se or, or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Issues of causality, um, issues of confa confounds, um, you know, validity of the, the, um, the, um, you know, are, are they, actually measuring what they think they're measuring. Uh, you know, th there are a lot of issues with you know, just the integrity um, of the data and the analysis and the conclusions that can legitimately be drawn. Um, and, and I, you know, I think that, that executives leaders just need to be much more aware of that and able to be very critical um, in asking the right questions to, to make sure that the intelligence that they're getting from that data is um, is what they think it is. Okay. We've been talking about many different uh, topics now and I'm uh, very much enjoying this conversation. It's very interesting to, to hear your insights. And um, talking about insights um, from uh, all the research that you've done or the, um, you're doing at the moment, um, if a company wants to be successful, uh, what kind of um, skills or mindsets or values do you think it will need to have in the future? Is there something that you have in your research that you can say those aspects are crucial in the future to, to be successful or increase the chances of success? You know, I think that one of the things that we already talked a bit about is um, you know, having this mindset of learning. Um, you know, really being, um, you know, 
open to exploring, taking others' perspectives, um, you know, looking for opportunities to um, to integrate um, other ideas and other perspectives. I think that's that's going to be key. Um, yeah, and then you know, I think the other thing that um, you know I, I would really wish for is that as we develop these new technologies, we not take purely um, a you know technical or technological perspective, but really think about um, you know how we can design these technologies to uh, integrate better um, with people and um, and support them in the goals that they're trying to achieve um, rather than um, you know, kind of uh, undermine them. And I, and I think that that makes for more successful technology um, and also um, a better experience for people at work. Yeah, sure. And um, we all uh, talked about um, the, the art of questioning. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. what, what would be the, um, like the, the important questions that um, an individual should ask uh, him or herself to to navigate um, through the future that is coming or through all these changes that are coming. Do you have like some uh, like silver bullets uh, that that help people in in many different situations? How to uh, navigate through through the change that is coming? Mm. Yeah, you know, I think that um, one question. So part of it is thinking about possibilities, you know, and kind of opening the mind to possibilities rather than assuming that, um, you know, there's more deterministic standpoint, you know, if, if, if this technology comes in, then this will happen. And I think it's really um, useful and frankly, a lot more fun to ask questions about what the possibilities are. You know, what could we do? with this technology? What are um, all of the possible ways that it could um, you know, support us in achieving the goals that we have? Um, so, you know, asking you know, questions of, you know, about what if, you know, what if we did this? What if we did that? Um, you know, and, and I also, I think, you know, having a kind of experimentation mindset, you know, you know, let's try this out. You know, what would, you know, how could we experiment this with this to see whether or not um, this would actually, you know, work for us or serve us better? Sure. And maybe as a like um, final thought of yours or final chapter in this conversation, you said, what ifs? That these are great questions to ask and um, exploring, being curious. Um, now I'm asking you, what kind of future do you wish for? Um, what is your um, uh, big what if? Yeah, I mean, I think that what I wish for, so I, I think a lot about collaboration. And, you know, I wish for um, a world in which collaboration is, is really an is really a learning opportunity, uh, where we see the people that we're collaborating with, not in an extractive way, um, or, you know, in a way that, you know, they're there to serve our needs, but 
but as um, a source of potential um, where we could really, you know, explore, um, explore that potential together and do, do better things together um, than, than I could alone, for example. Um, and I think the other piece is uh, meaning. You know, I, I do think that the, the things work better in organizations and outside of organizations when people have a really strong sense of purpose and meaning in their work, when they are um, doing something that they know matters and that they care about. Um, and that, you know, I believe transcends a lot of, you know, potential you know, lower level challenges when uh, people see great potential in what it is that they can do and know that the other people that they're working with have to be part of that solution so that they're all dependent upon one another in order to create something better. Um, and, you know, just in my experience, you know, the, the petty stuff becomes unimportant um, when you've got a group of people focused on uh, something meaningful that they can do together. That is a very beautiful vision, a beautiful what if, and let's hope that it's becoming more and more a reality. And, and um, I'm very grateful for have, having had the opportunity to uh, lead this conversation with you. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much for donating your time. And um, I would say those were beautiful words of yours to wrap up this conversation. And I uh, wish you an amazing day. Thank you again. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. Bye bye. Thanks again to Pamela for sharing her insights. For more exciting conversations with leading minds in leadership, technology and innovation, Please subscribe to the Sparker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. I'm looking forward to welcoming you back to another episode soon, where I'll, as always, uncover the mindsets, tactics, and insights of exceptional people. This is the Sparker podcast, and it was a great pleasure having you with me this episode. I wish you a great day and talk to you soon.